You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Dear Parliament, the show in which, as I always say, tries to bring Parliament closer to you. And just like last week, the Parliament has definitely been pretty active uh, this week and promises to be even more active next week. The last week was the SONA, the State of the Nation Address, put forward by uh, President Ramaphosa, um, which had a few issues. I think I had more than a few issues with, but uh, we'll be chatting later with uh, Kieran Ryan on that, unpacking the SONA, uh, what it was all about, what it was missing, and the various promises that were made within. And coming up uh, next week is the budget speech, the much-anticipated budget speech, which obviously follows SONA as it does every year. It's normally done uh, within two weeks after after the State of the Nation address, and it's, it follows on what uh, Ramaphosa has promised and uh, sets out how we can afford these, pro- these promises or if they are even uh, feasible. A uh, lot of issues around around the budget speech, and definitely a lot of anticipation around it. Will will there be an increase in in VAT? There's been a lot of talk about increasing VAT by zero point five percent, or even even one percent, as in Sona uh, Ramaphosa uh, did indicate that we need to increase taxes across across the board. And um, we need to find an additional uh, 15 billion rand to uh, fall within the budget to help with all these social programs. Um, personally, I think we need a lot more than that, especially regarding uh, the uh, national health insurance. Uh, that's going to cost a huge amount of money, although it will be, as Roman Pauza said, rolled out uh, incrementally. Which, which is great. Um, however, again, we'll get into more detail with, with that in, in a moment or two. Um, other, other initiatives that need to come out of our taxes, uh, the basic income grant, which uh, Rona Pause also uh, indicated would, be, uh, would come into effect, an extension of the social grant that has been issued for COVID, that 350 rand a month, will it be an extension of that, or will it be a totally new, a totally new, new idea? Again, um, we need to find more more taxes in that. So, all all in all, uh, predictions for for the budget speech are going to be around an increase in taxes from somewhere, uh, either as I said, an increase of that, or um, there's even talk of a wealth tax that might be might be introduced, which seems a bit uh, out of control at this stage. Uh, at the most, the highest you can get taxed, as I'm sure you know, is around 45%. There's talk of um, pushing that up as a wealth tax to 50%, which is quite a quite a major jump there. Um, personally, I don't think that'll be a great idea. I think the uh, we are really overtaxed um, as as middle class citizens, definitely overtaxed. Um, and 
it will just place an extra burden on it and probably not suit the government's needs of actually raising taxes, uh, especially on, in the upper class, the the top earners, the people they have an opportunity to leave the country and go and go somewhere else where there's a fewer taxes. Also places a burden on on businesses. Um, will there be an increase in business tax, corporate tax, corporate income tax, uh, increases in uh, excise tax on on uh, alcohol and tobacco? No doubt, is always an increase. Every 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 opportunity they can, they push that up. And will there be an increase in the fuel levy, which will push the uh, fuel prices up again, once again? And the fuel prices are are going to soar out of control, as we've seen with the weakening of the rand. Um, uh, against the dollar, it's uh, we're already seeing major increases in in our in our fuel costs. Driving a car, owning a car, is becoming almost impossible and frightening expensive. There will there be added incentives. Um, the, there was a solar tax that was uh, introduced. Uh, you could uh, incentivize to incentivize the installation of home home solar. Um, and especially on if it's you generating power through through your uh, through your solar panels, you could get up to fifteen percent rebate or on your taxes. Unfortunately, um, that ends that ends uh, pretty soon. I think it's in uh, end of this month. It, it'll end. Uh, it was only active for one year or twelve months for individuals. However, for two, two years for for businesses. Uh, I think at the t- in the times like this, government should definitely be extending that that incentive. It does make a huge difference, and of course, there's talk around carbon tax. Carbon tax is a controversial issue, but it definitely uh, definitely is is the way government is going, introducing it on on all on pretty much everything, pretty much everything. Uh, I rented a car the other day after after traveling. Got the invoice, and at the bottom was a carbon my carbon emissions, which will no doubt be used to uh, against to judge my carbon tax or uh, judge my limit in in carbon budgets that have been previously mentioned. When if you take take a flight, the same thing happens. Um, when you fly, when you see the invoice, you'll see at the bottom there's uh, how much CO two you have emitted. Um, by just sitting in an aeroplane, <laughs> and that goes towards your your carbon budget. So a lot of talk coming up. Um, the a lot of other topics that we will will get into, and uh, please stay tuned. But before you go anywhere, you are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. Welcome back to the show. And just a reminder that if, you, if you've if you missed the intro, if you've missed a part of the show, if you've missed other shows, you can catch up with the podcast on the website. That's www.chaifm.com. That's www.chaifm.com. Just go there, click on the podcast link, and you can search for the Dear, Dear, Dear Parliament show and download previous, previous episodes. And... As mentioned, we're talking a lot today about the uh, upcoming budget speech and doing a synopsis on the SONA, State of the Nation Address, uh, which if you listened last week, we made a few predictions on on what would happen there and what would be said. And joining me once again is a journalist extraordinaire, Kieran Ryan. <laughs> Kieran, how are you doing? I'm doing great, rather than you. 
Well, fantastic, fantastic. Cannot complain at all. It's been a great week, a busy week. I've been working myself into the ground, but that's the way I enjoy it. I think it's it's lovely. It keeps me busy, keeps the mind busy, and stops me from doing things I shouldn't do. <laughs> Kieran, last week we chatted about the, the State of the Nation address, and we made a few, I think, pretty accurate predictions about what, what would go down and, and what uh, – President Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa would, would say. And, yeah, I think <laughs> should we maybe go through through a few issues there and and pull it apart and, and compare notes? Yeah, I, I mean, this was kind of predicted uh, in his State of the Nation address that uh, he wouldn't so much focus on more recent events, but he would go back and give a 30-year sort of highlight reel of the ANC's performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of course, is very flattering because um, if you look at, if you go back 30 years, uh, particularly in the first 15 years of the ANC rule, there, there are a lot of things that they can crow about because, you know, the number of people with access to electricity is up above 90%. The number of people with housing is certainly in the, I'm talking about formal housing, is up in the 80% mark. Um, probably closer to 88%, the number of people with access to clean water, all of those kind of things. And, um, I, you know, I, I think he stepped in it in a few places. Uh, he, he, uh, he started to tell the story through the eyes of a child who was born after 1994, and the child was called Tinsualo, um, who was living in a house provided by the state, enjoying free health care, uh, schooling, paying no fees, while the family had access to clean water and, ele- and electricity for the first time, the parents drawn social security, um, and so on and so forth. You know, so the, the message this sent is that you know we we are looking after you, and, and it's all free. There's nothing that you have to pay for, which I, I think is entirely the, the wrong message. If you if you are trying to correct what is broken with South Africa, what's broken fundamentally. I think with South Africa, and you read this from the, the responses to it, is that there's no growth. The reason that there's no growth is because, many reasons, but primarily because of ESCOM load shedding. Nobody's going to invest in factories that are energy hungry. And Transnet, because you've got this port congestion and you've got rail freight congestion as well. So, you know, we, we had this, um, this commodities boom over the last few years with coal and iron ore and all of these other minerals that we produce in abundance here could not ship it in, in sufficient quantities to the ports because of these um, these freight rail problems. Yeah. Then what, uh, what Ramaphosa did was he went into the discussion about corruption and he said, uh, you know, we're determined to end corruption. And uh, there was a lot of jeering from the opposition, of course, and cheering from the ANC people in, in the parliament. As usual, yeah. Uh, and he was saying that more than 200 people are now under prosecution for state capture and they've recovered $14 billion in assets, which have been frozen by the Asset Forfeiture Unit, which falls under the National Prosecuting Authority. And then 8.6 billion rand in corrupt proceeds have been returned to the state. He also mentioned legislation is currently before Parliament to establish what he calls the Investigating Directorate as a permanent entity with full investigating powers. Now, that's a fairly interesting development my understanding of it, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit off kilter here, but this investigating director is kind of a proactive rather than a reactive body. It will investigate things uh, before they're alerted of a crime. So, you know, complaints are laid with the police. 
after a crime has been committed and then you start chasing them down. So if you have an investigating directorate, as you have in the United States and other, like in Europe as well, for example, where you can, you have these bodies that will investigate crimes that are potentially going to be committed before they are committed. So, I mean, that, that's a fairly good thing. But then he says this, um, we will not stop until all stolen money has been recovered. We will not stop until corruption is history. And I think he's going to absolutely regret that he, that he said that because, you know, he's sitting in the room. There are people sitting in the parliament I'm talking about. There are people there that yeah. should probably be uh, investigated or charged or Definitely. because of their corruption. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his cabinet, there are so many people in his cabinet that were uh, implicated in, in the Zonda, Zonda report and the Zonda commission. So why are they still there? Why haven't they been suspended? Why are they still able to uh, perform their duties and still have access to the same resources that, that, that they did? It's, uh, and it's been a while now. You know, we haven't seen any action on, on, on those people. Oh. So you're correct. There should be, there should be more, more action there. Yeah. And then, of course, in his speech, you know, he, he, he coddled all of the key constituencies from, you know, workers to women, the youth, the disabled, the marginalized. Uh, everybody got something. You know, there was goodies for everybody. So it was a picture of, uh, you know, country in nothing but blue skies ahead. Uh, you know, companies are investing. The farmers are planting. Black South Africans are increasing their ownership of businesses and farmland. And more people have jobs, he said, now than before COVID. Um, which I think is, is correct on. But you've also had a lot more people entering the unemployment ranks during correct. that period of time. Yeah. So that's uh, a little bit of cherry picking of, of uh, stats there. Uh, then, you know, he turned to the electricity crisis and, and what they're doing there. They've come up with these tax incentives and financial support. They're expecting to bring 2,500 megawatts of solar and wind power to the grid. Um, and more than three times this amount, he said, was currently in procurement or construction. And um, to make the, the system more competitive and sustainable, the electricity system I'm talking about, he said 14,000 kilometers of new transmission lines will be built to accommodate renewable energy over the coming years. Now, just pause there for a second, because the actual rate of, uh, of uh, transmission grid extension over the years is 400 kilometers per year. That's over the last decade. So if we are looking at doing 14,000, you know, which is multiples higher than what we've been doing up to date, where is this money going to come from? And this all ties back to the boring old subject of money because, you know, government is coming with a 256 billion rand bailout for ESCOM, but that's not specifically that's for current maintenance it's not for new growth new expansion of infrastructure so it's unclear then you know i think we're going to get a little bit more clarity on the budget next week um where the finance minister is probably going to outline how some of these these very ambitious projects are going to be funded there has been talk about using more developmental finance money now this is money like world bank money or african development bank money which generally comes over a long period of time, 30 years at low interest rates, like 3% low interest rates. And, um, but you, you're kind of locked into a, a little bit of a debt trap, potentially a debt trap, where you see uh, the, the, the liability side of South Africa's balance sheet beginning to rise, even though the interest rates are low. 
And all it requires is a, a situation that, that happened in Zimbabwe or some of these other African countries that just defaulted. Uh, Ghana, for example, is another one. Uh, on their external debt, and then your interest rates shoot up through the roof, your inflation goes through, and uh, your your cost of living goes up. So um, you can see that this is not a not a happy picture the way that that Ramaphosa uh, explained it. And okay, I mean, you know, he, he had some some good stats there in terms of access to healthcare, and it, it is true, if you go back over 30 years and you look at the ANC's record, um, there has been a, a lot more leveling out in terms of access to services and so on. Now, I wrote this up for MoneyWeb last week, and mm-hmm. I, had I done that, I got a, a response, a fairly sharp response from the Africa Transformation Movement, the ATM. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I, and I said, well, who are these guys? Um, I had to go and look them up. But anyway, they did send me some interesting stats here. They said, if you focus on the last five years only from 2019 and you measure his performance, and I, I did find this quite uh, interesting. Unemployment has gone from 2019, it was 29%. It's now up at 32%. <laughs> Youth unemployment was 43% five years ago, now 58%. That's huge. The dollar rand exchange rate has gone from 1444 in 2019 to 1865 against the dollar. <laughs> uh, and, and in fact, you know, if you go back just a little bit longer, uh, five, six years, the, the value of the rand dollar exchange rate is half. Yeah. Uh, th- that is, uh, bearing in mind that the, the rand dollar exchange rate is kind of the the share value for South Africa is, you know, it's how you kind of measure the performance of the country. And where you have a halving over a period of six or seven years in the exchange rate, then, uh, you know, you've, you've, got a, you've got a problem on your hands. Yeah, that is. It's, it's been a major problem with, with the exchange rate. I mean, it, it absolutely affects everything. Unless, of course, you have offshore investments or are trading in currency, then it's, then it's wonderful. Yeah, it's, and it kind of makes me wonder um, if our certain politicians and decision makers aren't doing exactly that. I mean, remember uh, the, the Fala Fala issue with Ramaphosa. What was it? Four million dollars that was found in 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 his lodge. Uh, you know, so obviously somebody's earning a lot of money through through international currency, and this, there was also rumours of uh, Rand manipulation uh, in. in which weren't, weren't really fully fully uncovered. I think there should be a lot more investigation into that kind of thing. Well, yeah, just on the RAND manipulation thing, I did sit on there because this was the subject of a, a very large court case involving, I think it was 27 or 29 banks and the Competition Commission that eventually went to the Competition Tribunal. So I sat in on several days of argument, both sides, you know, with the banks saying what, what, the, what the Competition Commission was trying to prove was that there was a single overarching conspiracy. That's the term that they used. In other words, that you had all of these people collaborating. How they did it was they had these chat rooms on Bloomberg and Reuters, um, which was used by traders around the world, not just in South Africa. In fact, most of the banks are foreign banks. The RAND, they love it because it's so volatile. uh, You can move it quite easily. And the the accusation was based on some of these chats, which were presented as evidence before the competition court was that there was definitely something going on here. And you've even had some of the banks like Standard Chartered, you know, admitting and paying a fine 
uh, admitting liability. Um, and yet the case has recently been thrown out by the competition tribunal, which I find a little bit strange. That's probably not the end of it. I think the competition commission is going to have another go at this, whether they argued it. It's a difficult case to argue when you've got so many respondents and you've got the best lawyers in the country. My God, you should have you know, <laughs> the senior counsel, all these sorts, yeah. standing up, you know, with their, their outrage that their client would be in, um, you know, have, having the indignity of standing before the court and having to explain themselves. Um, but it, I, I think to manipulate the RAND, what, the thing that really moves the RAND is is interest rates primarily. And um, where you have a large differential between South African interest rates, our repo rate, for example, is 8.25 versus about 4.5% overseas. You, you get this thing called the carry trade. So what people do is they borrow money in Japan or United States where it's at, at the low rate of 4% and invest it in South Africa at 8%. They call that the carry trade. So you get these huge flows of money into South Africa. But what has happened recently is that South Africa is seen as too high risk because we are on the gray list by the Financial Action Task Force. Um, so the mandates of many of these banks don't allow them to invest in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, anyway, th that is kind of where where that RAND manipulation thing is. And um, just before we close off, I don't know if we're going to a break here or not, but I just wanted to mention one thing. Um, yeah. the, the food basket price uh, between 2019 and 2024, this is a basket of goods that is measured by the stats SA to calculate inflation. That's gone up from 3,065 RAND for the same basket that's 2019, <clears throat> a little bit more than 3,000 today, you're paying about 5,300. That's a huge increase in cost. And this is the lived experience of most South Africans. When they go shopping, the thing about inflation is it's death by a thousand cuts. You see these small incremental increases in prices, but it's only when you really stand back and you compare them over a long period of time you see how damaging all of this is to the country. Absolutely is. What, don't you want to just repeat those those figures again? The the previous food basket price. Yeah. In, in twenty nineteen, the food basket price was three thousand and sixty five. This is for the average household. Three thousand sixty five. Yeah. Yeah. Today it is five thousand three hundred. That's a tremendous increase in, in, in food. And I think we've seen that. I think everyone everyone can attest to that fact that food has drastically gone up, um, more so than any, anything else. And then government uh, comes out and states these uh, sort of reasonable and, and low-end inflation rates. And you know, the general public looks and goes, how can that possibly be? Yeah. We've seen major increases everywhere. What are they actually measuring the, the increases buy or what are they using to to do it and uh, as you said it is that food basket price have they changed the uh, items within that basket or is it still still the same as it was I, I haven't looked at it recently but i did look at it in years past and yes they they do change it mm. um, so there is so there is manipulation in in the whole process yeah, of determining determining inflation will, will deny that they're manipulating but, but they are you know, so there are certain things that are deflationary. For example, computer equipment, if you solar, solar panels is an example. The price of those are dropping. They're not obviously in this basket. But, um, you know, the, the big items is food. Food accounts for about 20% of the consumer price inflation index. Transport accounts for about 
So right there, you've got a quarter, and you just we just mentioned the fuel prices. You know, where they've gone in the last five years from uh, what was it, sixteen uh, thirty to about twenty three rand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what is that? That's probably about a 40% increase. Yeah, and um, yet it only accounts for 5%. Yet it's part of everybody's daily, daily life routine and, and absolutely everything from it increases taxi fares, bus fares, everything, everything. It's, yeah. And yet it only accounts for 5%. It's, it's definitely uh, a, tailored, a tailored and well-manipulated uh, reflection of, of, of inflation. Yeah. yeah, and also the, I think you mentioned there that salaries don't increase at the same rate as as inflation. So that really places extra strain on on the average uh, South African, especially a, a taxpayer, someone who pays income tax. It's it's a huge huge well, strain. You see that that's another little trick. There, there's this thing called fiscal creep. That's when you don't adjust the tax brackets for inflation. Now, the government has done this in about four out of the last six years where they simply don't adjust the tax bracket. So you get an increase um, uh, that your, your tax bracket kicks in at 50,000. I forget what the exact figure is. You know, and you're earning 40,000 a year and then you're earning 42,000 and, and eventually, you know, you're earning 50,000. Just by not adjusting for that, the, the very poor people are being kicked into these, uh, these tax brackets. And... What last year government was able to rake in about 15 billion extra money just through this this thing called fiscal creep, not adjusting these tax brackets for inflation. It's another form of um, it's another form of tax. It, it hits people in the pocket, and it's not included in the inflation figures. The fact that you're paying tax, that's money going out of your pocket, should be included in any measure of disposable income. Um, and it's often the figures that you see, they, they don't, they're not fair in representing that. Uh, they leave it out. Yeah, yeah, they definitely do. And uh, I'm sure this will all be covered in the, in the upcoming budget speech. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I mean, I've had a look at a couple of uh, analyst reports and predictions, um, some from uh, accounting firms and auditing firms. And there's definitely uh, some concern about uh, an increase in, in uh, VAT and VAT, um, which oddly enough, I, I think is a good move. You know, increase in VAT will bring in a huge amount of, of revenue, uh, pretty much what, what the government needs. And again, everyone pays, pays tax. Uh, you know, you don't get people who can uh, avoid tax and, and dodge tax. Um, everyone pays. Even the criminals will will contribute towards uh, an increase in increase in VAT. <laughs> it's I think it's it's a way to go. But at the same time, then we need to provide relief somewhere else in in income taxes. But uh, once again, there are predictions of a wealth tax coming in, which uh, is I think is totally counterproductive. I think you and I have chatted about the, you mentioned, I think it's the Laffer curve that that will happen if you introduce wealth tax and um, that will just decrease government's, government's revenue altogether. People will simply uh, find ways to, to avoid paying it, uh, paying, paying tax. But let's, let's take a quick break, Kieran, um, and then we'll delve, delve more into the budget speech here. But... You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back. And as usual, chatting to Kieran Ryan about some important issues. If you missed the show, 
again, go go to the website and and catch up with the podcasts or the beginning of this show. If you want to send us a message, please do send it to three four five one nine, and we'll take your questions or if you got a question or even a suggestion on what what to chat about. Kieran, we were chatting about uh, the upcoming budget and what's what's planned there with. Um, possible increases in taxes and VAT and, and so on. What are your thoughts on, on what may come up in, in the budget? I don't see that there's any room for tax increases in this budget, mm-hmm. primarily because we're in an election year. They would do that after the election, uh, and we discussed that, I think, in some depth last week where we talked about what is the possibility of the ANC retaining control. I think it's quite likely. Uh, in you know probably in coalition with somebody um a number of different scenarios is very much up in the air and it very much depends on on you know how the different parties uh, campaign over the next few months but the, the bottom line is that we are looking at growth this year of about one percent that's what the imf says we're, we're likely to grow this year you know china is growing at you know, four and a half five percent <clears throat> even the united states is growing something like three percent three and a half percent so we are trapped in this low growth scenario here for the reasons primarily got to do with Transnet and ESCOM. If, if these are the two bottlenecks to faster growth. Um, you, and so what has the government been doing to overcome this problem is that they have been borrowing uh, over the years and our debt to GDP, which is a key ratio that they look at, it, that's up uh, in it's about 75% and it's probably going to go to 80%. Now, the recommended level for an emerging market economy like South Africa is 60%. We're well above that. We're shooting the lights out in, a very, in the wrong way. Mm. I don't see much opportunity here for, for tax increases. You mentioned the wealth tax. You know, that would be perhaps, uh, it would be opportunistic and it would be cynical. Oh. to do it because these are your, you know, the, the people who really are funding the South African economy or the South African budget to then hammer them with a, with a wealth tax. Um, yes. You know, a lot of people are sitting on the fence and saying, you know, I've had it, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm going to Mauritius or I'm going to Cyprus or I'm out. Um, and you already get a sense of that, you know, there's been the steady brain drain over the years, people moving to more hospitable countries with better tax regimes than yeah absolutely we're a highly taxed country for an emerging country very highly taxed yeah and the tax base is is dwindling as well it's 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 getting smaller although there was talk about it actually growing with people entering the uh, middle class but as as a general the high wealth individuals who pay pay the most tax are are few and far between now they they're immigrating as you say seeking better opportunities and more favorable Conditions, and also businesses are are moving their moving their, their headquarters around, um, as as they would always do to to seek favourable conditions, um, which poses a, a great risk for for government. There's no doubt that government is is short on cash. Um, all these fantastical uh, programs that are being promoted by or put forward by Ramaphosa. And the ANC, which is no doubt just electioneering, uh, there's just no way that uh, we can currently implement them without making serious sacrifices elsewhere. 
And also you mentioned uh, the energy issue in, in South Africa. As you say, to build uh, transmission lines is huge. It's huge. Is that going to come from more loans uh, granted to ESCOM? Or is it going to come from an increase in, in tariffs, which again places more uh, strain on, on the economy? It's, I think the budget speech is going to be more of the same. More of the same promises, um, uh, maybe introduce new, new measures, but certainly they're going to have to get really creative here. And I wonder if they shouldn't rather be focusing on uh, creating uh, investment opportunities in South Africa. There seems to be a, a lack of, of that due to crazy legislation um, like uh, strong, stronger BE requirements. We've seen the likes of uh, Starlink, Elon Musk, uh, refusing to come, come into South Africa um, simply because of the BE requirements. And uh, he's right. He's right. Why, why should he invest in South Africa when he has to give away so much of his business to, to what will no doubt be uh, an elite crowd, crowd of people and not go towards the people it's supposed to? Yeah, it's it's it's. I think a lot of companies are are reassessing um, that that situation. We should be encouraging investment by relaxing those kind of regulations and pushing things away from um, from these uh, preferential procurement issues. And if you look at uh, situations where we have a new bill, that I think I mentioned it to you as well. That um, uh, public procurement bill. There's a lot of contentious issues around that. It's been going around for ages, and uh, they've introduced a a new section now, uh, chapter four, which wasn't even put out for public comment. And that's all focuses around preferential uh, procurement. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a big problem as, as well. Uh, we can't we can't keep doing this if we want South Africa to grow. Uh, yeah. Politicians talk about. Uh, creating jobs and it'll increase job availability in the sector, but it's all it's all um, casual jobs. There's no guarantee that they are permanent jobs. And besides, you know, government simply cannot create jobs. What government should be focusing on is creating people who can create jobs for others, upskilling people, creating uh, or, or, less, or lessening the, the stringent regulations around uh, doing business. In making it easier for for companies and individuals to actually create a a working force and and perhaps opportunities for for other people, focusing on education um, and and so on, government is is definitely on the on the wrong path here. They seem to be focused still on the revolutionary ideas rather than uh, proper governance and and managing a country. Uh, South Africa could have been. Uh, right near first world countries, but uh, it's it's just seems to have gone gone the other way. But let's chat more about that in, in a in a moment, Kieran, um, because I once again have to remind you about the. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting my things muddled up there. I have to remind you about once again about the about Nord Hypermarket, which is in inviting you all to join join them for this Market Day weekend. Uh, once again, there will be entertainment for the young and the old. There will be face painting, the clowns, magic shows, competitions and unbelievable specials from this Thursday to Sunday, 
only at Norwood Hypermarket, bringing the fun back into shopping. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. So, Kieran, we were talking about uh, public procurement and the issues that, that surround that and that new public uh, procurement bill. Um, a lot of contentious issues there, as, as I mentioned, Kieran. It's, it's really, uh, I think it's, it's the wrong way to go. You know, it was brought about to control public procurement. There's been, obviously, that's where most corruption happens. And you know, it's, it seems to be geared up and set up that it could actually promote more more corruption introducing a a body within within the treasury that that handles uh, public procurement but they seem to be uh, loaded with an incredible amount of of tasks and duties which will just once again overload them and and possibly bring in bring in corruption again and of course then the preferential procurement yeah uh, Favoring certain individuals and groups of of people, um, price price and productivity and service seems to be really low low down on the list, and and uh, BE is pushed right up right up to the top. That's um, definitely not not the way to go. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that is just not coming through in terms of messaging from the government is growth. How are we going to get growth going? Because that is really the only way that we can create jobs. If we're going to grow at 1% a year or 1.5% or 1.7%, these are really low numbers. It's not going to get us out of the unemployment trap that we have in this country. We've got to be getting up to 5 to 6%. The last time we had that was when Trevor Manuel was the finance minister and Tabo Mbeki was the president, and that was back in the mid to late uh, 2000s. Now you have this this public procurement bill coming along, um, and it's going to replace uh, a, a piece of regulation called the Preferential po- uh, Procurement Policy Framework Act. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in terms of that act, and there are regulations which are attached to that, so the, the, these things are a bit of a moving feast. But in terms of that, uh, any uh, state project, any government or public funded project must give 30% of the contract value to the local community. Now, and we've spoken about this a couple of times in the past in, in the terms of, uh, you know, uh, in the course of my research, I've come across these things which are just, they're just opportunities for, for corruption. Yeah. And I have a fear that this particular bill, the public procurement bill, is just going to entrench this. And, uh, you know, to, once legislation is passed and it's in place, it's very difficult to, to root it out and deracinate it, as they say, you know, to, to get rid of the thing completely. Uh, I have no doubt it, it'll happen. But, uh, you know, if you look at Malaysia as an example of where my brother lives, um, they have, uh, they've had a, a sort of an affirmative action program going on there for, for decades and decades. So, you know, indigenous people there get preferences in, in terms of contracts and so on. It's far less corrupt than South Africa because they do seem to have mastered it. But uh, this was intended as a temporary thing. And I remember when this first came in, you know, in the in the 1900s, I thought, this won't last 20 years. It's, it's going to be too destructive. Uh, they're going to have to undo it. Things like the Labor Relations Act, you know, which makes it virtually impossible to fire somebody um, and, and all of these 
preferential procurement policies and so on. No, I, I was completely wrong on that. You know, we're, we're doubling down on it and now we're <laughs> embedding it deeper and deeper into our legislative fabric. So I do worry about that. Um, I guess if there's any compensation in this that it does fall under National Treasury, which is one department in government I have a fair amount of respect for because yeah. they deal with this every day and they, they, they're having to uh, try and keep a handle on this 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 corruption and the spendthriftiness yes. of the various different government departments. But they haven't been successful. You know, as, as good as they are, as honest as they are, they haven't been successful. No, they haven't. They haven't. And it's, it is a, sta a sad state of affairs. That you've, got to, you've got to wonder if it's not all just, uh, once again, electioneering, 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 um, which I think it possibly is. Kieran, unfortunately, we've once again run out of time, um, but there's still so much we can talk about. So let's, let's ask the listeners if they, they want us to catch up again at the same time next week and uh, continue this conversation along with others. It would be great to get feedback on, on the budget speech, um, yeah, unpack that, and I think that's your area of expertise. So, same time next week, if you're available. Yeah, and let's talk about the spy bill. I'm worried about that. Uh, yeah, spy bill is a really contentious issue. And by the way, uh, there's only one day left for the public to comment on that, and please do so at dsafrica.co.za. Have your say. Uh, if you don't want government to to monitor everything you do, uh, monitor your conversations, your phone calls, your WhatsApps, even your internet browser history, go have your say. Go have a say right now. Kieran, Thank you so much for, for your time and let's catch up next week. And listeners, we will see you see you then soon. And remember to stay democratic, engaged, active and responsible. Ciao for now.